welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. She was feeling like she was um, getting quite lonely. And so she, she thought about how she could get some company. And she decided that she was going to go to a pet shop and buy a parrot because parrots are easy to look after and they can have some sort of conversation. So maybe it would help her feel a little less lonely. So she goes to a pet shop and she talks to the manager at the pet shop and she says, I want to get a parrot and I want this parrot to be able to talk. And so the, the, the manager sells her one of the best parrots that they had in the pet shop. She takes the parrot home and she, she's you know, trying to talk with the parrot and the parrot's not talking back. So the next day, she goes back to the pet shop and she says to the manager, uh, I think you may have sold me a dud parrot. This parrot is not talking. And the manager said, oh, did I give you a bell? And the lady said, no, you didn't. And she goes, well, you need to grab a bell because when you get the bell, then the parrot will start to like chip the bell and it'll just, it'll just wake him up so he wants to have a conversation. She's like, okay, I'll go get a bell. She goes and buys a bell, brings the bell back, puts the bell in the birdcage, waits for the parrot, no talking. She goes back to the shop the next day and she says, I've got a problem. The lady goes, the parrot's not talking. The parrot's not talking. No, the parrot's not talking. Oh, did you get a swing for the parrot? The lady says, no, I didn't get a swing for the parrot. She goes, well, you need to get a swing for the parrot because when the, when the parrot goes on the swing, it'll like energize itself and then it'll want to talk. So she buys herself a swing for the parrot, takes it back to the home, puts it in the cage puts the parrot on the cage, gives it a little push, watches the parrot swing and still nothing. She comes back the next day. She goes to the, pet, to, to the manager of the pet store and says, look, I've got a problem. She says, what's your problem? Problem is the parrot's not talking. The parrot that you sold me, that you told me would talk, if I got the bell and I got the swing, it's still not talking. And she goes, oh, that's right. You need to get it a mirror. Because once you get the mirror, then the parrot will see itself. It'll be able to unlock its vocal, vocal cords and then it'll start to speak. And then you'll have a talking parrot. So she gets the mirror, takes the mirror back, puts the mirror in the cage, looks at the parrot. The parrot doesn't talk. She comes back the next day and she says, I've got a problem. The lady says, what's the problem? And she goes, my parrot's dead. And she goes, your parrot's dead? She says, yes, my parrot's dead. She goes, did the parrot talk before it died? And the lady said, yeah. The parrot said, do they sell food at that pet shop? <laughs> I say that because we have this culture that continues to give us messages about the things that we need to have in our lives, the things that we should have. Well, you know, you need to have the newest swing and the newest bell and the latest mirror, because life is not complete without all these things. And we have all of these different messages that are telling us what we need, what we should be doing with our finances, what it means to be wealthy, what it means to have true riches. And uh, whether you realize it or not, you are being discipled in the area of your finances. Today, you may have opened your Facebook feed and seen, uh, seen a, uh, an advert which told you something that you needed. Without even realizing it, you're being 
shown something that you need. Maybe you got an email this week from a prince in Nigeria telling you about your long-lost relative that has just passed away and how they had left you some money and inheritance and that there's $90,000 waiting for you in your Nigerian bank account. You just have to transfer over your, your details. Uh, you're being discipled in how your money can be used and where it should go. Maybe you turned on the TV today and you saw, saw someone uh, telling you about the latest, greatest iPhone which has come out. Anyone, confession time? Alex, you're walking out. <laughs> On cue. Alex is that Apple fanboy. The latest, greatest thing that you need to have, and we have all these messages that are talking to us about how we should use our finances, and it is an area that perhaps we can shy away from and think, oh, it makes people uncomfortable to talk about. But I think Jesus spoke quite regularly and quite often about what, was, uh, what, what we do with our money. He wasn't afraid to, to, to talk into those areas. And I said before that our, our, our money actually has quite a close connection with our hearts. And you can see here my, my $10. When, when God speaks about finances, He's not just speaking about the dollar. He's speaking about the devotion that goes behind the dollar. Because where I put my money will ultimately show you the direction that I'm putting my devotion. As I spend in a certain direction, it shows you that there's something connected to that, which is my heart. So when he speaks about Money, he's not actually speaking about the dollar, he's speaking about the devotion or the heart behind it. I want to open up in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 6, and it's probably a bit of a familiar uh, passage for us. But it comes in a place where Jesus is speaking to his disciples about money and possessions. And it says there in, chap in, in chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talks to the disciples, to his people, those who said that they want to follow him, and he gives them these, these, these teachings, these instructions, this shifting of paradigms for what they possibly understood life to be like and what it was going to be like following him in his kingdom. And uh, he says to them that this will indicate that what you do with your finances, what, what you do with your treasure, what you put your treasure in, will indicate what is actually in your heart. It gives good indication of what's going on. Uh, it's been said in the past, if you want to see what a person is devoted to, where their heart is, you have a look at the bank statement and you look at the calendar because that will show up what they prioritize in life and what they give themselves to. What you spend your money on shows what your priorities are. Where you're directing your, your money shows what's in your actual heart. What you do with your calendar shows what you give priority to. And so it gives good indication. 
But I wonder if Jesus was, was not just talking about how we can kind of gauge where our hearts are, but maybe he was giving us a key that would teach us that you can actually direct your heart toward him through what you do with your finances. Because if, if where I put my treasure, my heart will be also. Maybe he's saying if you direct your treasure in certain places, then it will lead your heart in those places as well. There's a common phrase that you would know, which is follow your heart. Can I just say that's not great advice? If you just follow your heart in life, you will end up with a broken heart. Because your heart will lead you into places that potentially you shouldn't be, into things that potentially could hurt you and harm you if you just follow your heart. I would submit to us that as Christians, we're not called to Lead, to, to follow our hearts, we're in fact called to lead our hearts as we follow Jesus. We are called to lead our hearts as we follow Jesus, not, follow our, not just follow our hearts. So as we read through Scripture, we see that Jesus actually identifies different areas where he says it is good to give into this area. It is good to, to, to sow into this area. It is good to use your, your, your finances in this area. And I believe that he does that to give us insight into how we can lead our hearts in the way of his kingdom. Not just being passive and, and just kind of being, you know, doing whatever, but being really intentional about using my finances to, to lead me in the direction that God would have me. What do I mean by that? What, what if uh, your everyday transactions were actually invitations for your personal transformation? What if every day that you used finances, it became an opportunity for you to, to allow God to do something in your heart to form His life in you in a greater measure? Well, then finances become less of a practical thing and more of a spiritual thing where I can partner with the work of God with what He's wanting to do by what I do with the dollar that's in my pocket. And therefore, I get to partner with Him as I lead in that direction. I want to just pull out three different areas where we see that God gives clear direction for a Christian to, to invest, to sow, to, to give their finances. The first one here, and this will sound super obvious, is that it goes to God first. All of our finances to God first. He is the first point. And throughout Scripture, we see this, this clear invitation to put Him first with our money. He's got to come first. God first. And I would say that in doing that, He's teaching us to, to direct our hearts toward Him above anything else. In the same passage in Matthew chapter 6, it finishes in that chapter by saying, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is this day and its own trouble. He's, and this is a life principle. Seek God first. Seek first His kingdom. But remember that the, the context of this is he's actually speaking about material wealth and possessions. 
And so he's saying, put God first, seek God first, and all of those other things that you're worried about, they will just kind of catch up. They'll be added in proper time. But just keep him first. Here is another concept that perhaps we, 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 we try really hard to, to navigate in the Western uh, culture, and that's the, the concept of balance. I just want to have a balanced diet. I just want to have a balanced schedule. I just want my books to balance, my finances to balance. And we seek to, to shift and change and move things in a way that we can get this, this, this balance. But it feels at times that that balance is almost an illusion that we chase after because one thing changes and then we're out of whack and then we have to adjust everything to kind of get that balance back. You know, Scripture doesn't talk so much about the concept of balance when it comes to finances, when it comes to schedule, when it comes to health, when it comes to life. But it is very clear on a different thing, which is the concept of order. It talks about order. Order being one, two, three, four. There is an order to how I do things. There's an order to how Scripture would teach us to do things. And the order of Scripture is always this. God comes first. And then two, three, four, whatever those things can be. God is first in the order. So therefore, rather than chasing some sort of balance in life, but balance can come from, from putting things in order, my priority is to put God first and allow the rest of life to flow. I've seen this outworked in my own life. When God comes first, things start to flow. When God is put in, in, in the proper position of, of number one in my life, of Lord of my life, then things just start to flow. But when God is put into a different position, when things are out of order in life, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but even though it seems like there's balance and it seems like everything else adds up, Things just don't work. Things seem like they just don't flow. And I come back to that thing. No, I need to put, make sure that God has priority, that he gets first place, that God is always first. And that comes with my finances, that God comes first. And here's the thing. Sometimes when you've got the order, things don't add up, but they work out. When God is first, it, it, it sometimes doesn't make sense how things are going to work out, but somehow when he's in the proper place, things just happen. Things just work out. Talking to Pastor Josh um, last two weeks ago, and he was telling me this testimony of how uh, when he was younger, he went to a, or actually a financial advisor had approached him about how to invest some money and how to make some money. And he wanted three hours with Pastor Josh and he said, you know, I, I can teach you how to, to just become wealthy and how to invest your money and, and get a great return. you just got to give me three hours. And Pastor Josh is like, I'll give you an hour. And uh, if you can't do it in that hour, then you're not a very good financial advisor. Anyway, he meets with this guy, and the guy, the guy goes, okay, if we're going to do it in an hour, then you need to give all of your bank statements, show me where all of your money is so that we can really quickly work this out. So he brings in all his statements. He, he, the, the advisor adds it all up, and he, he, says that he makes this comment that, that some, it doesn't make sense how this is working because what's going out is, is greater than what's coming in, and I don't understand how your finances are afloat at this point in your life. 
Here is a change that I would advise that you make. The only thing that is not accounted for is the amount of money that you are giving away. Here's the change I would advise. Stop giving away that money and start investing that. Because it doesn't add up. And that's the only thing that is not, which worked out to about 20% of of the income at that time. And said, it just doesn't add up. But this is what you could do. Stop giving that away and then invest that 20% into something else which will make more money. And Pastor Josh said to him, but I think the reason everything's working is because I'm honoring God first with my finances and then he's just working stuff out. So I don't want to stop doing that at the sake of trying to make some money. What, what am I saying? Sometimes when you put things in order, it doesn't look like it's going to work out, but God makes things flow. These things will be added to you. These things will, 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 will work out. I will add this to your life. And let me say as well, it doesn't always mean that it's going to be an increase in wealth or possession or finance. Some of those things that are added to us is the character and the nature of God himself. As you step out in generosity, you know that he does something in your heart to create generosity in you, to make you desire to be generous. And those are true riches when he does his work in our hearts. But we get to direct those dollars in a, in a direction that will actually lead our hearts towards him. We see this in the Old Testament. There, there is the concept of the uh, first fruits offering, where the people were instructed to bring the first part of their, of their um, crops, the first and the best parts of their um, increase of their wealth to God and give it to him as an offering to offer the first and the best to him. Now, if I had my crops for this week, some popcorn, some two-minute noodles, more popcorn. J.O. has got me on a popcorn bender. But if I had my crops and I, I was going to bring an offering to God, how would it look if I was to, to go through what I've got and just say, coffee pots? Mine? Two-minute noodles, these are really good ones, by the way. Pretty cheap, but good. Mine. Apples. Gods. <laughs> music bar, gods. Music bar, gods. Cheap popcorn, gods. Good popcorn, mine. Megaring, mine. Here is my offering, Lord. Be blessed. All the healthy stuff. <laughs> Yeah, my, my balance of health is not too good, is it? But it, can, can you see what I'm saying? Imagine if I, I took what I had and I said, mm, not too good with that one, or I've got to pay the bill here, and, and then this, whatever I've got left over, I'm going to give to God. It shows up what's actually in my heart. It shows up who I'm really responsible, who I'm concerned about, which is myself and what I can get, rather than saying, hey, God, from what I have, I'm offering you the first and the best as an act of devotion, as an act of my faith, as an act of honoring you. I want to give you the first and the best of what I have because that is my heart towards you, God. I want you to have the first and the best. 
Not because I'm obliged to, not because I'm compelled to, but because I have a conviction that He is first in my life and that must flow through every area of my life, including everything I have. If He's not Lord of all, He isn't Lord at all. He is Lord of all or not at all. And so if I say, God, I want you to be first, then I'm going to give you the best of what I have. The first fruits are going to you. And can I say, it takes faith to give your first, especially when you're not sure how everything else is going to add up. It requires faith to say, I'm giving the first of this to you, God, even though I'm not sure how the bills are going to get paid, even though I'm unsure how how this is all going to add up, I believe that if I put you first, you will provide, you will look after, you will care for me, and I'm making the decision to put you first regardless of what else looks like. And this doesn't come out of convenience. It doesn't come out of circumstance and situation. This is a, a, a dedication to say that, God, you're being first in my finances. And here is what I think, that when you put him first, and he calls us to do this, that you lead your heart in the direction of God. That you learn in other areas of life that I'm going to put him first. In my calendar, in my family, in my workplace, in what I do, God is going to be first. He leads us in that direction. Here's another area we see. It's the, the community of faith or the faith community. We see throughout Scripture that, that those who follow God, those who are called to be His people, were, were instructed to, to bring some of their finances to give toward the local community. In the Old Testament, we, we see clearly this uh, concept of the tithe. Who's ever heard of a tithe before? In a church, only that many people? Wow. The tithe, which was... 10%, tithe means 10%, 10% of what they earned or what they were brought was to be given to God first, but in that, it was then distributed amongst the community of faith. It was part of their thing, and you know, to be technical, it wasn't a tithe, it was tithes, it was multiple percentages, and depending on who's doing your maths, you were looking at between 23 and 34, 35% of of overall income was brought into the storehouse, was distributed in these different tithes, different percentages that were given. And uh, that was then given first and foremost to God. Do we have that passage there in Deuteronomy, Lockie, which explains the tithe? It says in verse 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 23, at the end of this, it gives the, the, uh, the reason for tithing that we see in the Old Testament, it says that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So there was a practical element to it, but the spiritual thing was you're going to do this as people so that you are learning to fear God. You're learning to honor God. You're learning to revere God by bringing the first, the, the best to Him. It's actually to teach you something. It wasn't just to command people to do something. There was something to be learnt in it. As I do this, I'm learning to honor God with my life, with everything that I have. 
We see this also in the New Testament. We see the, 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 the investment in the community of faith. In Acts chapter 2, what, what happens is uh, God moves upon the church. He moves upon his people. And there's this great increase of, of different people coming into the church, into the community. And we read on and we see that uh, some of the people in that community, they, they sold their possessions. They sold their houses. What for? To share with those in their community. They gave up some of their stuff, some of the possessions or the houses or the property that they had. They sold it so that they could invest into others in their local community. So that they could give part of what they have to the, to the faith community. There is an, an area in here where we're called to uh, invest into our local fellowship, into our local community. And again, I see it as God directing our hearts towards one another. Directing my heart to invest into the mission of the local church. Directing my heart to invest into the people, to sow into this family, this community of faith. To say, I'm part of this. I believe in this. And whilst I, I actually don't know who gives into our, uh, into our church family, we intentionally don't look at any of those figures to see who it is and who they, what they give. Uh, but I can sometimes tell... When someone is invested in that way in the church community, because they act a little bit differently. Because where their treasure is, their heart is also. And if they put their treasure into something, they're putting their heart into it also. So when things get touched or things get shaky, I think, hang on a second, this person's actually really committed and invested into this. This possibly something that they're putting in and we have been speaking you know over the last couple of months we've, we've been giving updates on our finances and if you've been on that journey you know that there's been a real tight uh, real tight area with our finances and it is my joy to say that in this season we've seen turnarounds like we haven't seen before our finances our giving has increased quite a lot to the point where we now have some breathing space with our finances. What does that say to me? It says that as we have spoken, people have responded in their hearts and responded with their dollars to invest into what God is doing in this place that they believe in the mission and the call to, to Grace Life, to be a lighthouse in this community, and we're showing that by responding financially. And I'm thankful for everyone that has responded, and we're thankful for the tight squeeze that it was to, to at, point, at different points because it has taught us something. It's taught us to put God first, and to trust that He will work things out. That as we honor Him, all these things will be added. So thank you, church, for uh, investing into, for believing in, for, for sowing into, for giving to the work of this ministry. And thank you for being a part of that. I really do say that on behalf of our eldership and our, our leadership team.
But we see that God says, like, this is an important area. When the tithe was given in the Old Testament, it was broken down into three different areas. We read it in Deuteronomy 14. And, and if you're looking at finances over this, uh, this season, have a look at Deuteronomy 13, 14, and 15, which basically gave an economical structure and system for the people of Israel as God was instructing his people. In those chapters particularly, he gives lots of stuff on how they are to operate economically and with their finances it's quite interesting stuff in there but in that passage it gives three allocations that the tithe would be given to that the the money would be brought into the storehouse and then some of it would be allotted to priests some would be allotted to the party which was the celebration the the identity celebration of who they were as a people when they did their festivals, some of the tithes would be given towards that so that they would enjoy together the party of the community of faith as it reinforced their identity. When they remembered that they were brought out of Egypt, when they remembered uh, all the celebrations and the festivals and the parties that they had, part of the tithe would go to that. And the other allocation was towards the poor. The priest, the party, and the poor. The priest and the party were part of the community the priests, that's the government, the, the spiritual leaders. And so their tithes would go toward uh, funding the government or the spiritual leadership of, that, of their nation. So there was an investment into, first to God, but then into the faith community. And that carries through into the, the New Testament. Now, it, depending on who you talk to or what your theology is, uh, I believe that there is a shift in that, that uh, we're not compelled to tithe under the law, but we are still called to give, not out of compulsion, but out of a heart of generosity. And a tithe, a percentage of your income, is a great way to start. But I also think that a tithe, if we limit it to a tithe, it can be restrictive, because we see almost an upgrade in the covenant as we move into the new covenant. And to me, it says, well, there should be an upgrade in the heart of a person in the area of generosity rather than having to tick a box. Because that's what it can come down to. I pay my bill. I give to God. I pay the bill. But it's not coming from a heart where I'm honoring Him or I'm wanting to, to give to Him because I love Him, which is what it was, it was meant for in the first place. There was a man that went to a, a church, and uh, they were just visiting, brought his kids along, and as they were, as the buckets came around for the offering, uh, the man dropped in a dollar, and it went, the, the buckets went around. Then after the church, they left, and they were driving home, and, and the, the dad was just complaining. He was complaining about the, the, the room was too hot, music was too loud, the preacher was too boring went for too long, and he's like, I'm never going back to that church again. And the kid in the car piped up and said, Dad, I didn't think it was that bad. We only paid a dollar. <laughs> Not a bad show for a buck. Can I challenge you that if you call this home, if you call Grace Life home to consider this, consider being part of are contributing to the finances of our church. 
consider sowing into. If you, if you say, this is my home church, if you're visiting today, you know, not wanting to uh, you know, put anything on you or ask anything of you, but if this, you say this is home, then just consider. And maybe that is a tenth of your income. Perhaps it's a fifth. Perhaps it's a tooth. Not like a real tooth. If we start getting teeth in the giving box, I apologize. But maybe, maybe it's a different percentage. But if you do, let it come from a heart, not because you've been told to or you've been commanded to or you've been demanded to, but because your heart is for the work of the ministry. You want to invest into it. And here's the, the last thing that we see directed throughout Scripture over and over and over and over again, and even in the tithe, is the poor. God speaks so much about the responsibility of His people to care for those in need. We can't talk about, a ser- I don't think we can do a series on finances without talking about one of the clearest places that God directs our finances, and that's to those who are in need. Over and over and over and over again, he says to be open-handed to those who are in need, to not be tight-fisted, to not withhold from, but to lend to, to give to, to sow generously to, to those who are poor, to those who are in need. And again, directs our hearts towards his heart. Now, I don't think God discriminates. He's no respecter of man. He, he, he doesn't you have a ranking system. And in his eyes, the, the beggar is just as, as valuable as the CEO of the thriving corporation. But he has a special heart for those who are in need. If you, you, you can't read scripture and not pick that up. And so he directs us to the, us, anyone that has to share with those who don't have. The mission to go into all the world. I know it's not to go just into the third world, it's to go into all the world, but he has special concern for those who have little. And we are called to, as those who say we want to follow him, to invest our finances, to spend our finances, to sow our finances into those who have less. Once again, in Deuteronomy 15, and this, I, I love this kind of progression that takes place. God's talking to his people about how they should be with their finances. And in verse 4, it says, listen to this. Verse 4, there, but there will be no poor among you. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord is giving you for an inheritance. What's he saying? There should be among you no one in need because I am blessing the land that I'm giving you. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all that is in this commandment, I will that I command you today. There should be no poor among you. Read down two verses later. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, hang on a second, there shouldn't be because there will be enough, but if one of your brothers do become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need wherever it may be. There should be no poor among you, 
But if there are, don't harden your heart toward them. Instead, open your hand to them. A couple of verses later, verse 11, it says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. There will always be poor in your land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. See the progression? There should be no poor. Everyone should have enough if you listen to the voice of God. Was it Gandhi that said, there's enough for everyone's need, but there's not enough for everyone's greed? There should be enough. There's going to be enough if you listen but I think God, knowing the heart of humanity, <laughs> we're probably not going to listen the way we should listen. And so he then puts in a stipulation. But if anyone does become poor, even though they shouldn't, be open-handed. And then he says further on, there's always going to be poor. So open your hand even wider. You see the heart of God? He, he understands that, that we, in our own strength tend to look after ourselves and the reason that there is not enough for everyone is because some will store up more than they need and so he puts this these balances in to say look if if you have and there are people around you that need then you open your hand to them you be open-handed to them and if there's always going to be, and it might feel like there's always those around us that are in need or there's, there's always the poor. And he says, yeah, open your hands even wider. Again, your heart goes toward as you invest into. And I think finances, our giving towards those who are in need, actually opens our hearts to love them the way God loves them, to open our hearts to that. Can I put that picture up of that little, me and that little guy, Lakesh? So Lakesh on my right in this picture, he was our sponsor child for eight years. He li lived in India and um, he was in the children's home with Pastor Lawrence and we, we sponsored him for about eight years. And I got to go over to India a couple of times and uh, just meet with him and play with him. And I can tell you that that was one of the, the most touching you know, parts of, of, of my ministry or my life was to be able to sit with an orphan who we had been sending money to help with his education, to help with his food, to, to just invest into his life, to actually get to meet him, to talk with him, to play with him, to, to play cricket against him, because those little Indian kids, they love the cricket. And I'm a lot older and bigger, so I was actually pretty good and could like hit the ball out of the park, which got a bit of respect. But, you know, just getting to sit with this young man that we had, given to that we had invested in and I can tell you that that opened up again to me that this is not just a bill that we're paying this is not just money that we're sending away that we're never going to see again this is an investment into someone's life this is an investment into someone's future and on that trip there little Lakesh he's actually he came from the villages of Salem and so when he was growing up he was actually really malnutritioned he had malnutrition, so he's, he's really small, but he's actually quite old. So he was about 11 years old or something at, at that time, but he was like really, really thin and really small because of his nutrition. And he, he was getting picked on at this kid's camp. And I'll tell you what, when I saw him get picked on, something rose up inside of me because that wasn't just 
any kid getting picked on. That was our kid. That was a child that we've been investing into. And it said to me, where your treasure goes, there your heart goes also. And as God leads us to, to sow into people, it leads our heart towards them, which is where we find Him in them to give to. There's these, uh, anyone ever heard of a monkey trap before? Monkey trap, this tribe in Africa, they worked out that they, they would catch these monkeys so that they could kill these monkeys and eat these monkeys. And they worked out that if they, they drilled a little hole or created a little hole in a tree or in, in the ground that was small enough for the monkey to get its hand into, uh, and they filled that, that little hole with berries or nuts, the monkey would come around and, and look and find it, put its hand into the, the hole, grab hold of the berries, and then not be able to pull its hand out. Its hand would literally get stuck because it wouldn't let go of the berries. And they really, the monkey let go of those berries because it wanted the berries. And then it would like jump around and scream because it's trapped. The whole time only having to let go to get out of. And they use this as a trap. So they put the berries in, the monkey would come, and then they'll come and catch the monkey because the monkey won't let go of what's in its hands. And it ends up losing not just what's in its hands, but losing its life. I wonder if we'd be so tight-fisted with what God has given to us that we end up losing not just what's in our hands, but losing opportunities, losing uh, avenues of being able to do the work of God, to be able to bless people because we're just holding so tightly to what is in our hands. Be open-handed is a literal picture of being open-handed with what we have been given, with what we are called to steward, the resources that are in our hands to help those among us that are in need. So for us this morning, how is God directing you in the area of your finances to lead your heart towards what He's wanting to do in you, to change your heart, and do through you the ministry that He's calling you to? Would you say at this point in time that God comes first in your finances? Have you put Him at that place where He has sovereignty and control over everything that happens? Have you put Him first with your finances? Can I suggest to us that we consider at least uh, allowing God to speak to us in greater measures in these areas. And I had to make a, 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 yeah, a real decision when I stepped into ministry that I would never speak about finances from a, a, an idea of what we can get as a church rather than what we can give as a church. And so as I share this morning, this is not so that we can get more. This is so that we can give more. This is so that we can be a people who are genuinely open-handed with everything that we have, knowing that it's all His anyway. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.